What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am your host, Adam Comero. It's been a bit since the end of season. Deep dives, recaps, State of Duke stuff. But it is draft time, so I am back. And I have Mike Ribbonoff joining me from the Stepien. And please listen to his podcast. Check out his podcast, his work on the Stepien, and his Twitter account. I mentioned all that. I'm very appreciative of him joining me. And we, our plans were to do the Duke scouting reports where it was fun to just have kind of, since I've watched him so much, him responding to my thoughts. And then it was more um, deferring. I still have plenty of thoughts on the other draft prospects, but it, I more deferred to what he has to say because, hey, it, if you're going to call anyone an expert in this stuff, I, I, he is the guy. Um, so I didn't time it up very well. We did get into some of the other non-Duke guys that I might release just separately, or uh, um, in terms of what we had already done, I might add some new material along with it um, for the guys we didn't get to talk about much, but either way, that will be separate. This is just the Duke guys. This is just Zion, RJ, Cam, and a little bit on Marquise Bolden as well, so it was a lot of fun. Hopefully, everyone enjoys I'm a bit of a draft nerd myself. I've been doing it for years. Last year, I did my marathon. I have Mike Ribbonoff from The Stepian. He does a fantastic job with all the prospects, um, both the domestic, the international. Everyone does big boards, does everything, goes really he deep dives it. I mean, when I say he's a draft nerd, I mean that in the most complimentary way. I love that stuff. He does the Stepien Draft Podcast with uh, Ross Homan, which I'm about to check out. I told him beforehand I've avoided it on purpose because I try to generate my own thoughts a little bit. Um, but uh, I'm definitely going to deep dive as soon as this is over. So we're going to do the Duke guys. Then we're going to kind of just have a little bit of a discussion throughout the next part, the second part, about the draft and how we go about it, along with just going down with the other prospects and kind of just basic evaluations and how we feel about them. So after that long intro, Mike, thanks so much for joining me, and uh, it should be fun to go over the Duke guys and everyone else. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. All right. So... I encourage you to interrupt me whenever you have something to add, whenever I you feel I'm way off base, which is fine. I mean, as everyone should know, this is not a uh, an exact science. These are human beings um, that we're evaluating. Nothing is guaranteed as much as we try to – some try to make these prospects out to be like a data set, something like that, kind of like Moneyball in MLB. I can't do it like that. I try to – include all the information while at the same time um, adding in uh, metrics and analytics as I think it helps. But I think it's just everything matters when evaluating these prospects. And even so, who knows how it'll end up. But let's get started. So first of all, bold statement, I think Duke would have been absolutely unbeatable if either Zion or RJ were right-handed. And I think the way the offense was arranged um, this past season had a lot to do with the fact they both weren't great. Um, Zion was much, much better than RJ at not only uh, going to his right, the handle going to the right, but also finishing with his right. But even so, Zion, he his tendencies were typically 
to go back left, but I do feel like he also has the ability to finish right. But RJ, he they basically often cleared out the entire right side so he can go downhill from right to left. So I think that had a big effect on the offense, sometimes a little too negatively. Second of all, the offense without a scoring big and case system is basically the same motion offense 2016 national team ran on repeat. I mean, if you remember or anybody remembers Paul George, he gave a very interesting um, interview when the U.S. they had just played Serbia in the uh, in the um, in the pool in the, in the pool round, and they barely beat Serbia with Jokic. And Paul George was basically just saying, "There's no creativity. They know exactly what we're going to do. There's just nothing going on." And it's happened a little bit too much. If Duke does not have a big, that's kind of what they do. And in that, uh, obviously LeBron wasn't there in 2016, but when LeBron was on K's national team, LeBron was basically the initiator. So while many think that Trey Jones was the true point guard, it was really RJ initiating much of that half-court offense. And I think that... uh, it had an interesting effect. So I'll say that just to kind of, as an overview before I get into the players, because obviously context is dependent with everything. So start out with Zion. First, the cliches. I mean, the it factor and the electricity. When, when he's on the floor, I mean, you can just feel the energy. And as kind of ridiculous as that sounds, because, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to sound like Bill Walton or Dick Vitale or anything, it's just everything kind of picks up, and there's, it's just rare you see guys like that that besides the skill set, they just have the ability. When they're on the floor, everyone has to account for it. So, I mean, some of, some of the uh, comps, I don't – when I name comps, it's not exactly the player. Hopefully everyone knows that by now. Um, it's just aspects. But, I mean, he's been compared a little bit. Rodney Rogers, Charles Barkley, Josh Smith, college Larry Johnson – I think there's aspects to each, but I mean, just, I don't think any of them really, you can say, oh, that's what Zion is. I think he is kind of a unique, I guess, the unicorn prospect. So I think his biggest strengths, the quick twitch motor, the explosive urgency, especially for someone his size. I I said like last year, while Marvin Bagley was a pogo stick, I kind of got off the ground as fast as anyone I've ever seen, especially with that second jump. Zion is like if you're using a bowler as the device in a slingshot. You pull it back and just watch out. I, I mean, and then he, there's the shiftiness, the fluidity, the elusiveness, the agility, slippery. I mean, and then you add in a super high basketball IQ the crazy instincts, anticipation, the change of speed. It's just someone who we really haven't seen before. Someone his size move like he does. And then you add in, like I said, that basketball IQ. I think that's huge. And it's just crazy what he can do in terms of adjusting on the fly, even doing so in the air. So I think those are the obvious biggest strengths of his and just the the absolute dominance in getting to where he wants on the court but not just bullying he's so agile and fluid and i mean even with that like this is just a filthy drop step drop step excuse me filthy um 
The three-point shooting, I'll start out with that. Obviously, that's going to be talked about a lot. He made his first of the season against Kentucky. That was 2 of 17 um, in uh, the non-conference. Um, I guess not counting St. John's. The non-conference 2018. Um, then in the entire 2019 season, though, he, he actually shot 39.6. So he's proven he can make it. Obviously, it doesn't look like a shot where you would think, oh, he, he's, he's going to be a knockdown shooter. But just what he can do, getting the defense to at least respect that, I mean, that'll just make the rest of his game and the penetration, everything else, all the more lethal. Um, I'll say the offensive rebounds, that's a big thing, big strength of his. He really attacks the ball at its peak, but it's also that Rodman-esque feel, Dennis Rodman-esque feel for where the rebound would go. So it's not just him being more physical than anyone else. I mean, the box outs, I'll say again a little, in a little bit, I mean, that's something he actually, I don't want to say struggled, but he needs to get better at because I don't think he actually was great at boxing out. He just, he has that anticipation of where the rebound would go. And then he just attacks at its peak and the effort urgency. So I think if he can really get more consistent at boxing out, I mean, it's just, it's crazy how good a rebounder he can be. Um, he led the country in putback field goals uh, after offensive rebounds with 59, despite ranking 36th in possessions with 85. Obviously that has a lot to do with missing six games or whatever that number was. Um, among those uh, with 58 possessions, offensive rebounds, he had the second highest field goal percentage and points per possession, both behind only Brandon Clark. And he was the only player among 91. He had a 0% turnover rate, which uh, from watching and what the stats tell me, he doesn't have that kind of annoying tendency some have to bring the ball down after offensive rebounds like many others. It's just gets it, goes straight up, and many times just uh, dunking it right out of the air. I mean, only two teams had more than 119 putbacks on the season, with LSU ranking number two at 130, and Duke was number one at 141. And Zion, he had uh, just a little bit to do with that. So as, as I previously said, he needs to get better and more consistent at boxing out. He relies a lot on, on athleticism and anticipation to get rebounds no matter what in high school and college. But uh, he did find himself a little bit in trouble against better opponents especially on defense, especially on defense when he didn't box out. So just in terms of Zion's um, kind of the overall, before I go into more specifics, the overall characteristics and his, uh, his rebounding, which I, I just I'm in love with, um, wh how do you feel about uh, what I said there? Uh, well, first of all, I think that's a great point about uh, RJ and Zion both being lefty in that Duke offense. I haven't heard uh, anybody say that before, but uh, I've kind of like I've thought about that watching the games, but I never like fully formed the thought together the way you did. And uh, I think that's a great point that, uh, you know, both of them being lefty and especially the way RJ was used and, uh, you know, obviously his tendency and he wants to go left, you know, and Zion, you know, being there and all that. Yeah, that, that that's a great point. But um uh, yeah, with Zion, I think uh, maybe one thing that's worth adding is like kind of one of his top characteristics is just uh, his feet at his size are just absolutely incredible uh, considering like the weight and everything. You know, often these bigger body guys like uh, Thalen Horton Tucker, for example, or somebody like that, or even like a Kelton Johnson to some extent. 
and uh you know they're smaller than zion uh, weight wise and just their frame and how thick they are and uh it's just um hard for guys like that to like play on their toes you know they play kind of flat-footed because it's just their top of their body is so heavy it's uh so that kind of slows them down a lot on like churns and like getting low to the ground and uh really getting around guys and stuff like that um and Zion, he's, it's incredible to see somebody 280 pounds be able to consistently play on his toes and be so kind of nimble. And, uh, you know, his ability to get low with the dribble, uh, execute some of these crossovers uh, that he has and stuff like that. Uh, so I think that's like really a big part of his game that doesn't get as much talked about. And it's kind of like a big reason he's so successful past the, you know, vertical explosion and the strength and all that. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, yeah, I thought you had some great points. I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, what did I want to say uh, about the offensive rebounds? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with the uh, boxing out uh, stuff. But uh, I think the offensive rebounds and the rebounds overall is like where uh, Zion had some of his most like dominant moments really in the season when you saw. I remember there was one against Indiana where I believe it was uh, maybe Justin Smith had complete like uh inside position on uh zion and uh zion just went right over the top of him and justin smith is a pretty explosive athlete himself Mm -hmm. and uh yeah zion just grabbed that rebound and went right back up and uh dunked it on uh smith like nothing and uh i remember just watching that and cracking up (laughs) because it was like it's just like what can you do so uh yeah uh, but um i agree with pretty much uh all the points you had so far uh oh also about the shooting i think uh that's the one thing. I don't know how much I believe in that, like the breakdown uh, with the that he shot two out of seventeen, but then he shot uh, better. I know in 2019, but uh, I mean, I don't think those sample, like just the numbers as far as the sample size in those uh, kind of stretches, is uh, very telling. I think it's better to just look at the entire season, and uh, even more so, I think uh, if you're looking at least in his future translation as a shooter. Uh, look at his free throw percentage as well and stuff like that. And obviously, you mentioned the mechanics are are not um, you know textbook by any stretch. So um, yeah, I'm not. I'm still a little bit skeptical about the three point shooting. But I think if he is open, uh, uh, you know, he could hit him. He has decent touch. I think it's the mechanics really that need work. Uh, you know, foot alignment. Uh, his shot is kind of flat at times. Obviously, the release kind of on the side of his head and stuff like that. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I think that that that's kind of the main stuff I would. Uh, bring up uh, along with what you said yeah and um to get a little more specific into that the catch and shoot he shot actually about 13 percent better guarded than unguarded and i wonder if that's because his load time allows defenders more time to close out it almost looks like kind of later later sort of career sam perkins um that type of perimeter shot where it's almost like a fling type of thing where it's not really much legs, it's all arm, it's flat-footed, maybe a little more Zach Randolph at times than uh, than Sam Perkins, but uh, as you just said, that can use work. Um, on one hand, he's really an analytics guy's dream, with shots only at the rim or three-point range, I guess if that's the uh, what, what uh, the analytics guys want, but it would help him immensely to come more vers- to become more versatile in his range he really he rarely attempted jumpers off the dribble rarely attempted mid-range which pretty much coincide i'll admit i didn't watch too much um of zion in high school but i'm guessing guys just played way off him to avoid becoming one of his infinite highlights so he's just now starting to develop a jumper off the dribble so he kind of gets caught with a sort of awkward set shot um the stats say i mean again small sample size he was 413 on jumpers inside the three-point line 
2 of 12, shooting off the bounce. And, I mean, the free throws, he pushes it forward a lot, so it, re- it makes the shot flat. So, um, I-, I-, I would say, yeah, I mean, I mean, it needs work. So, But I think he's just, I, as I'll talk about when we do the overall kind of draft topics, I really prioritize the work ethic of high motor guys. I believe it even to a fault at times. I mean, it's the same reason why I had... Marvin Bagley is my number two prospect last year because even though, I mean, we talk about RJ really struggling with to finish right. I mean, Marvin Bagley never finished right. And, I mean, that's just a horrific weakness, which, I mean, in the summer league, I was watching guys just completely overplaying. And, and I'm like, uh-oh, he better realize this real quick and start working on that right. But I feel like guys that just... The high motor, hardworking guys. Obviously, I don't know them personally. I don't know how they, how hard they work off the court. But that's why I just believed in Bagley's ability to understand, to watch film, and to just work his ass off till he develops that right-handed finish. So I will say this is more just belief in Zion um, that I think. That shot won't ever – I mean, it's not like he's going to be J.J. Redick out there. But uh, yeah, I, I think also he can finish right, but he really he rarely did because he was rarely forced to. But he can. I mean, I saw that a bunch of times he can. He would much rather come back to his, um, his right shoulder and finish with his left. But he can finish right. Uh, he has great vision, great unselfishness, could hit Duke teammates on cuts – in the few times there was off-ball movement, in the very little movement in Duke's offense, he didn't really get much of a chance to be a playmaker. Though early on, I didn't think he was necessarily ready to be one. One of his best attributes, especially early on, was picking his spots. And the rapid improvement in his playmaking for others and for himself was something I honestly just didn't expect. It was shocking. That was a great surprise. I mean, his teammate shot 6 of 11 on spot-ups from his ISO passes, but just 4 of 24 on spot-ups from the post, including 1 of 10 on the right block. But again, I don't know. I mean, again, small sample size. And I don't know if, if that's necessarily him. I mean, I was I was uh, I actually posted a video on Twitter where one of Cam's, uh, I would say, the moneymaker play that he might have is versus Gonzaga. But, and I'll explain that in a little bit, but it started off with the Zion kickout, and it's just so quick, great vision. I think Zion's passing is going to be a really solid attribute he's going to have in the league. Um, especially great playmaker in transition. About a third of his assists came there. His assist percentage went up 10% in transition um, to uh, 18.5. Again, not huge, but better. Um, I think Zion should have been used much more in the short role. I really have a problem, or not, I mean, that sounds angry. I think Coach K should use the short role a little more, especially as much as the NBA does it. And he's had two guys with Zion and Wendell Carter these past two years who have the ability, I mean, talk about the triple threat. I think that would have been huge with Wendell Carter last year. Really wasn't used in a short role at all. Zion wasn't used in the short role. And I think he would have impressed even more if um, he'd gotten more chances in that specific type of uh, action. So uh, how do you feel? So I mentioned his uh, his shooting a little more specifically. I mentioned his passing and kind of different situations like the short roll, which I think he will really, really be a threat. Um, he'll be lethal in the NBA. 
Yeah, um, I think that's definitely going to be like a big part of his uh, game in the NBA, like uh, playing as a role man. I will say, to be fair, a little bit to Coach K is, uh, you know, Duke didn't have the great spacing, uh, obviously, this year with the three-point shooting. And, uh, you know, um, college game in general doesn't have the ideal spacing for, you know, playing short roles. That's very true. Uh, That's very true. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, no, I totally agree that Zion should have been used more there at the very least. Uh, I don't know how much more, but definitely more. Uh, but um, uh, what did I want to say? Oh, yeah, about uh, going back to you, we're talking about his defense. I also definitely agree there that uh, uh, I think uh, because he was so dominant kind of as a shot blocker and, you know, roaming as a kind of a free safety on defense, uh, creating all these events, he was definitely a very, very effective defensive player, and I think he has a lot of defensive upside. But I think uh, that kind of is like a criticism of Zion. Uh, maybe uh, sometimes people overlook uh, him, like, executing defensive resp- responsibilities and, like, some of his positioning off ball and, uh, you know, just general focus and uh, awareness defensively. It wasn't always great, to be honest. There's a lot of missed rotations there or uh, kind of uh, over-gambling or... Uh, rotating to the wrong guy or missing uh, kind of a tag help situation at times. So definitely a a lot of work to do still for him, I feel like, on the defensive end. And uh, that goes with the decision-making on the other end uh, with the passing. Uh, I think he did a better job decision-making than RJ. And uh, I think he did a better job decision-making, as you mentioned, early on in the year. But uh, towards the end of the year, I felt like um, uh, during the NCAA tournament, at least in the games I watched, uh, there was a lot of plays where he kind of got tunnel vision and uh, as the team started to kind of pack the paint and, uh, you know, help off Trey Jones a lot, especially uh, they, uh, he would uh, often drive into like two, three guys and uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, force up a really tough shot or had some turnovers there, had a, a less than one uh, assist to turnover ratio in the year. So I'm a fan of Zion's passing and uh, coming into the year, this is something that I actually talked about that uh, in AU in high school, I always thought he was an underrated uh, passer and playmaker. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, again, uh, like compared to like RJ, uh, who, you know, has that tendency to kind of put his head down and drive into guys as well. Um, I think Zion does a better job of that than uh, Barrett does. But uh, he also kind of started to do that a little bit more towards the year. And I felt like that's something he'll still need to work on. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, find guys a little bit better off the dribble at times, uh, make uh, some better reads, uh, finding shooters on the weak side and stuff. Although... Uh, again, to be fair, the Duke spacing wasn't ideal by any stretch. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, that would be kind of my comments uh, there. Yeah, I think everyone remembers if they saw it. The uh, when Duke played UCF, there was uh, the defenders. They were almost like taunting Trey Jones to shoot. So, I mean, it's tough to have confidence in passing out when the guys just aren't making shots. So, I, I mean, Zion would never say it, but I'm sure. That affected everything. And I actually hadn't mentioned his defense yet, but you gave a great start um, to his defense. I would say the best way to put it, uh, to start out, uh, Zion, he really, he stalks opponents on defense. I mean, it's crazy weak side anticipation for blocks and steals. Obviously, the chase down uh, blocks on unfortunate opponents with uh, LeBron-esque blocks in transition. He has a great sense of where the play will go, kind of that basketball IQ, and not just guessing. It's really anticipating and seeing it ahead. He gets a great jump on passes, especially when they're telegraphed, which happens a bunch in college. It won't happen as much in the NBA. Uh, he's kind of like Kenny Rogers, the gambler. Huh. He'll pay more often for gambling on D in the pros, especially playing so far off guys who can shoot. Like I just remember when Duke played Louisville, Jordan Nawara 
I mean, he was just like, where are you, Zion? You're leaving a guy like Jordan Noir who can just knock down shots. And I think that it's an adjustment. In, in, in high school, the little bit I did watch, he was almost like a free safety, just roaming around. And he could just he – has, he has a great ability to close out no matter what. Everyone remembers the DeAndre Hunter block. But, I mean, he can't rely on that all the time. The, he'll still be one of the most athletic players in the NBA, but it won't be like college where he can make up ground and just be able to do to kind of make up for mistakes. Um, he allows himself to get sealed off and boxed out too easy, as I mentioned before. There are times in transition, I think he loafs back, and some don't pay attention to it because his highlights, when he turns the Jets on on other possessions with those chase down blocks and great plays. I mean, that's what really gets the highlights. But there's just as many where he doesn't get back nearly like he should, and he doesn't rotate back. So he, he has to get better at that consistently. Um, the risk-reward IQ took too many stupid risks at time. Or not stupid, but just not great risks in unne unnecessary game situations. Um, he proved he does have the capability to be trusted. Coach K often had him in when he had three or four fouls when others might have been on the bench. So he does have the ability to be trusted. But, like, I, I mean, Michigan State, that loss for Duke, I mean, the first half, he picked up two just ticky-tack fouls and was out for when, um, I think, Michigan State, they went on their big run at the end of the first half, and that really changed it. Duke had all of the momentum before that, so he they needed him, and the ticky-tack fouls, he just got to be smarter. Um, Duke's run against Louisville was when Zion came in with about eight or ten minutes left in the game or something like that when he had four fouls. So And Louisville, I kept questioning why they wouldn't just go at him. I mean, they couldn't even handle a basic zone press. They looked like they were just being, I don't know. Um, but, but in the NBA, if he has four fouls, eight, ten minutes left, teams are just going to go right at him. He's not going to be able to uh, get away with that. Um, I would say, well, the argument of why not just keep doing what works in terms of Zion's constant attacking of the rim, I would say the constant pounding on your body, it, I mean, it's going to take a toll on anyone. So becoming more of a threat, it'll add years to his career and be easier on his body. And it's just it's going to make his playmaking and penetration even more lethal. So those are my uh, my thoughts on Zion. Um, you got anything uh, left for in terms of uh, maybe some some more about his impact or what I just said about um, possibility of uh, I, I did mention more about the defense, more in depth. And in terms of the gambling, in terms of him in transition, anything else? Yeah, I mean, I'll just say, first of all, that um, Zion is uh, clearly number one in this class for me. And, uh, you know, I think he has, like, superstar potential. And I it's, think, it's uh, not, it's not you know, Marquise Bolden? I was, I'm shocked. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, but... Uh, I think he could even be a, end up being a top three, top five player realistically. I'm not saying he will for sure, but, you know, there's that upside with him. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Zion. I have been a big fan of Zion since his days in AU high school. I had him number one uh, coming into the year. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of people had RJ and others number one. So I'm a big Zion fan. But I, I will say that uh, just to go back to some uh, criticisms, uh, and uh, I will say also about the defense that uh, – yeah, he gambles a lot, but I'm personally, I think it's good. I'd rather have a guy that gambles on defense and tries to create events and tries to uh, break up plays and, uh, you know, uh, kind of really bothers the opposing scheme and, uh, you know, really makes his presence felt, even if that leads to some mistakes, you know, nobody's a perfect gambler out there. So I'd rather have that activity than not have it. 
but uh, I definitely agree that uh, he has a uh, you know he has a tendency to over gamble and uh, particularly like you said uh, you know leaving guys open and not closing out and uh, I think that kind of goes back to his conditioning and that's where um, I think one of the bigger concerns for Zion uh, going long term and one of his bigger weaknesses is just uh, consistently playing with really high effort. And, uh, you know, uh, playing at 100% uh, percent and with super high motor. Like, when he wants to, he could play with a crazy motor and uh, beat guys on rebounds like crazy and, uh, you know, dominate defensively. But, uh, you know, other times, especially when Duke started to go up by double digits, he would definitely start to take some plays off and kind of just hang around. And I think that has something to do with, uh, you know, him not being in the tip-top shape. And uh, that could not only, uh, you know, in the NBA come back to bite you because, you know, if you're not playing at 100% consistently in the NBA, uh, it's going to be, you know, a lot harder to be, uh, you know, reach his upside, obviously. But also, I think that conditioning could possibly come back as a, you know, injury concern as well. Unfortunately, I hope not. I hope I'm wrong and uh, that doesn't happen. But, uh, you know, that's something that's, uh, you know, with somebody who's 280 pounds and, uh, like you said, so aggressive attacking the rim and jumps so high and puts so much strain on his body is definitely going to be a concern to some extent uh, with him as well. Uh, for I've talked to some guys who do uh, kind of strength, strength and conditioning, like training uh, uh, medical stuff, and uh, they said that uh, they like what they like about Zion is he uh, does a pretty good job landing and uh, that he doesn't, uh, you know, guys that often ha- end up, uh, you know, hurting themselves uh, usually do it uh, in a poor landing situation, and Zion uh, does a good job of avoiding that. So uh, that's a good sign, but uh, still there's some concern there. And uh, like you said, uh, if he wants to have a prolonged career, um, there's maybe some concern that he's a guy that peaks earlier in his career, in his early 20s, when he's really in his athletic prime. And if he doesn't really develop that skill game as his athleticism starts to dwindle somewhat uh, in uh, his later 20s and obviously in the 30s, um, you know, he won't uh, be in his prime for as long as a time as you'd like from, uh, you know, somebody who... Uh, you know, you could potentially be building your team around and uh, maybe, you know, even be contending for a championship or something like that. So uh, that skill game, is, uh, as his athleticism does start to kind of uh, not be at its maximum uh, peak, uh, you know, uh, he's going to have to rely on the skill more and he's going to have to develop that. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be something that's uh, going to be a big part of him, uh, you know, reaching. Is he going to be all-time great player or is he just going to be, you know, this athletic uh, wonder for a few years and then just kind of... Uh, dwindle somewhat yeah because i remember a guy like uh josh smith he was a kind of a, a freak athlete and i mean it's crazy to think he was 225 i remember him being so big and athletic and zion's like 40 pounds uh more than that so i mean josh smith i always wondered like when i was watching before i really started getting deeper into the game i was like why does he shoot like he's not a good three-point shooter and he just uh he settles for so many threes when he's so athletic he get in there and it made me wonder if he's just i mean i guess in a way it's smart you're just trying to maintain your career trying to last and so i'm wondering do you think zion what is he 280 now uh does he need to uh do you think not need to do you think it would be helpful or smart if he did kind of knock off a couple pounds, I'm not saying at all he's overweight, but just to uh, knock off a few, it would help? Uh, I don't know if it's uh, the weight number exactly. I mean, that's like an easy, like, broad weight yeah. to refer yeah. to how big he is and all that. But uh, it, uh, I just, I do think he could get better conditioning weights, definitely. 
and uh, like I said, to, uh, you know, taking some plays off at times and not being able to go 100%. And, uh, you know, he didn't play the big minutes that RJ and Cam did. And, uh, you know, there's different reasons for that. But I think part of the reason is conditioning again and just stamina. So I do think he could definitely be in a better shape than he is now. And I think to really reach that superstar upside that I think he has, uh, you know, that will be a part of the process for him. Okay, so let's move on to RJ Barrett. Um, in space, I mean, Barrett was a superstar at Duke with space, long, fluid strides, terrific change of speed, great hop step, a Euro step, which, uh, in my opinion, too often devolved immediately into, oh, look, it's James Harden conversations. He's surprisingly slippery, uh, gliding past defenders. His catch and shoot did improve as the season went on, though obviously there's still issues. He shows tons of potential with the pull ups and step backs. I do think in the half court, and, and I will add one more thing about uh, Zion. That I mean, the worst thing I could ever do is compare anyone to LeBron. But uh, kind of LeBron, how he does take some plays off because his team depended on him so much. Um, Pre-Lakers, this past season was a disaster. Um, but uh, so I think Duke, because their half court offense was so awful, they did depend so much on creating live ball turnovers. So, uh, and Zion was one of the guys who created the most. So there are times I do think he kind of took a play or two off, or not off, but took it easy a little bit because in half court, they couldn't rely on being half court efficient. So they had to get those crazy, they had to, he had to create. A lot was dependent on him. Um, but anyway, RJ Barrett, um, so in half court, a lot depended on his first step. I do wish he would have sought more contact on the drives with momentum. He often faded away. He gets a ton of credit for seeking contact. He, he is very physical. In my opinion, that contact was when he didn't great, get a great first step. So he would instead rely on hard dribbles and really lowering his shoulder to try and bully defenders in an attempt to gain separation or draw the foul closer to the basket. His 26% free throw rate in conference, it really does speak to my point. He's great at slyly using his uh, offhand to gain separation. I do think the refs started to catch on more and more towards the end of the season. He has an impressive feel for defenders on his hip and when to use shot fakes. I am not sure anyone in this draft um, could have benefited more from set plays run within the uh, team offense than R.J. Barrett. I mean, Coach K, as uh, I kind of said at the top of the pod, he used him like a LeBron James type of initiator of Duke's motion offense. I mean, there's no way he should have had um, seven more half-court assists than Trey Jones. I mean, he played 111 more minutes than Trey because Trey missed a couple games. Um, But it's just Duke's motion... Duke's motion offense is ironic considering the lack of much motion, but basically it was just Barrett received a high screen often to just add a placebo effect to the offense despite nothing really coming of it until later in the season when the big started, uh, they, they started being used a little better, especially Javon Delorier as rollers, divers, to, to really use RJ to the best of his ability. Um, Duke's entire offense would be based around, as I said before, getting him a clear out and or high side screen above the break or often from the right wing, which then allowed him to get downhill right to left. So when RJ, when he would drive right, he lacked the ability to consistently get separation and all the way to the rim. So we settled for jumpers more. Uh, small samples, two of 11 on jumpers off the bounce and two of seven on runners. 
even when getting to the rim, he shot just 6 of 15. Again, that's driving to his right. When driving left, his momentum helped a ton. He was 4 of 8 on jumpers and runners combined. Off the bounce, I think his percentage would have remained high in general had he shot more. And he was 12 of 14 at the rim driving left. On pick and roll, he was pretty inefficient with his own shot on the left side. And high uh, pick and roll, pretty... Yeah, it was inefficient on the left side and high. He was pretty good on the right side. So it's the same thing with him. Same deal with ISOs. High ISO. He was uh, 10 of 13 driving left. 9 of 10 at the rim. While 6 of 16 driving right. Just 5 of 9 at the rim. When driving right, he was forced to take more jumpers. Just 1 of 7 on those shots. On the right side of ISOs, he was 6 of 7. When when, uh, getting downhill to the middle, thus to his left. And 2 of 10 going baseline. On left side ISOs, he was pretty much inefficient no matter what. Um, so I was like, he needs to run off screens with much more urgency. Actually, you know, before I get to his off-ball work, um, is there anything you felt just in terms of how he was used and the way he gets shots and anything to what I just said? Um, not particularly. I will say that, I mean, his uh, dribbling with his right hand is just atrocious. Like, like, he could barely dribble with his right hand. And, uh, you know, let alone actually, like, finish, you know, and uh against defense you know and stuff like that so definitely needs a lot of work on his uh right hand i i totally agree there yeah i mean that there was a wake forest game at the end of the year which they won by one he actually um it turned out to be the game winning shot even though wake pretty much blew it at the end but the shot that turned out to be the game winner was a shot that rj finished with his right it, it was it was a runner and it's just i almost fainted i was i was so like happy and proud of him but that was too uh too rare um he needs to run off screens with more urgency. I think way too often he was lackadaisical, which prevented him uh, to, to get an immediate, efficient shot. I think he was so used to uh, just using screens in high school to get the ball and then make a play from there. So actually getting and using a screen for a jumper in college at that spot might have seemed almost foreign to him. So I think he can improve with time in the film room um, in terms of uh, uh, making a uh, Jumpers immediately off screens. He was ranked in the 75th percentile and jumpers 17 feet in or less. So the touch is there. While the stats don't show it, I do feel as a runner, that could become an eventual weapon. Again, the stats disagree with that, but just in terms of watching it, I do like how he shoots the runner. I was actually surprised his somewhat low field goal percentage in transition when not leaking out. <laughs> he was 100% when leaking out. Um, he was great in transition from the left wing but really just average as a ball handler and pretty poor from the right wing as a trailer. And the first thing I said about him is he was a superstar in space. So, I mean, this just says the total exact opposite. To be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what the deal is with that. I might have to go back and just find some of those plays to see exactly the cause, which will, of course, take forever because Synergy are assholes and won't give me the ability to link to the specific plays from the site. But anyway, um, RJ's playmaking for others, I would say drastically improved um, as throughout the season. And shine really pretty visibly when Zion was out. I think he had a triple-double or very close to it against Syracuse. The big star to get more involved, diving to the basket off high screens on like early season. And he converted over 75% of shots. Um, the bigs converted over 75% of the shots from his passes rolling to the rim, putting him in the 95th percentile at 1.4 points per possession, the 97th percentile on his passes when um, cutting to the rim, 1.636. 
Uh, same as Zion, RJ's teammates really didn't thrive on spot-up passes from him, though that doesn't necessarily mean that was his fault. So uh, also similarly to Zion, his teammates did shoot pretty well on his spot-up passes out of the ISO. So that's pretty much, uh, that sums up his offense. Anything to add there? Well, yeah, I'll say, uh, first of all, I, I should mention that I agree with you that they should have used Trey Jones more as kind of the initiator of the offense. Um, you know, obviously, we talked about uh, the defense is kind of playing off Jones and him being off ball. I think, you know, Barrett and uh, obviously Reddish are better uh, spot-up shooters than Jones is. And uh, with Jones kind of having the ball and being this great decision-maker, I think they could have taken more advantage of, of that in the half court. And, uh, you know, people look at RJ uh, because he played that uh, kind of initiator uh, primary uh, ball handler role in Duke, like you talked about, like the quote-unquote LeBron role um, in uh, K's motion. In Montverde, in high school, he played next to Andrew Nemhard and uh, Mike DeVoe, who's a Georgia Tech. You're probably familiar with him. Yeah, I, watching love, I love Nemhard. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Mike DeVoe as well was a really good player in high school. I, I still, I'm a, kind of a fan of DeVoe as well. Actually, I think uh, Georgia Tech's offense kind of, uh, uh, you know, limits him somewhat. But uh, anyway, yeah. So um, playing with those two guys in uh, Montverde, who's a uh, you know loaded, loaded high school team, also had Philip Petrusev from. Uh, uh, Gonzaga as well. Uh, so uh, RJ, he was their top scorer, but he played kind of a more off-ball role. He did a lot of cutting. He, uh, he got a lot of uh, plays where Nemhard or DeVoe would take, uh, you know, a couple of dribbles to create a disadvantage against the def- for the defense. And uh, then they kick out to RJ and he could read a close out and attack in that way or, you know, kind of uh, have some uh, momentum behind them already as he's catching it. And uh uh, go get downhill, uh, get ahead of steam attacking the rim and stuff like that. So I think RJ is a much more capable playing off ball than maybe people realize. And I think uh, in that way, he would be a lot more efficient uh, potentially if an A team uses him more off ball as opposed to trying to uh, force him to be their kind of primary guy the way Duke did at times. So, um, yeah, I think that's something worth mentioning and something that uh, – I think it's kind of a, a way to more upside and value for RJ as opposed to I don't really see him as being a guy that uh, leads a successful NBA team as the primary option. I think uh, he's better off um, being more of a secondary guy that uh, where somebody else is uh, creating uh, with a uh, dribble more and he's kind of uh, benefiting from that to having, a, again, attack closeouts, uh, run out and transition. And uh, going to that, you talked about his transition play, and I think he was definitely great in space and uh, – I think maybe some of the reason for that inefficiency just comes from uh, uh, the va- volume of uh, how much, how often he attacked in transition and uh, how much of it uh, was, uh, you know, maybe him a little bit forcing the transition uh, play and the forcing the issue in transition. Uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of plays where he kind of uh, try to push it one on three or, you know, not having a real advantage, maybe two on four or something like that. And, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of plays where you, I remember at least that, um, uh, you know, he kind of ran into a group of guys in the uh, open court and, uh, you know, trying to uh, uh, attack the rim when the defense was kind of set uh, to some extent, you know, again, not really having a real advantage transition. So when he had the uh, numbers in transition, I think he was very successful and is a very good player uh, in the open court. But, uh, you know, obviously he needs to kind of cut that down. And uh, the same thing with the runners. I think he has the skill 
as far as executing those runners and uh, making those runners. And that's a shot that's useful for him and a part of his game that's effective. But it's the decision-making and knowing when to go to that runner. And I think at times he uh, kind of forced that runner a little bit too much and tried to go to it when, uh, you know, he was covered and he probably should have passed the ball or he should have kept the dribble alive and, uh, you know, uh, uh, dribble back out or whatever the case may be. So, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of where that lack of efficiency comes from. It's not for a lack of skill or ability. It's more from the mental side of it, of the decision-making and the shot selection. Yeah, I totally agree with what you said about RJ off-ball. And, I mean, it's almost like Grayson Allen. He was the initiator uh, the season prior. And while Trevon Duval had his faults, it just it, it never really made sense because Grayson wasn't obviously wasn't a great playmaker for others and while he could rise and fire it just it never made sense the way that offense was run with him as a as initiator but k he trusts one guy each year usually it's the guy with experience in the backcourt and there was no guy with experience in the backcourt so it became rj and he just played the role that he was assigned to so i totally agree that i think he could benefit with uh, more off ball in the NBA on defense. I would say are the key engagement and awareness. He's a super physical rebounder and defender, a big plus, especially at his size, the long strides, it can hurt him at times on defense, though. I do think being too straight up hurts just as much. He needs to improve a ton on uh, consistent box out. Same with Zion improved awareness throughout the season. He was caught sleeping early and often in the, in the uh, beginning of the season. He did improve. The rotations back in transition as well as uh, in half court, that was also an early struggle as to be expected with freshmen, much less freshmen who are likely allowed to take plays off on that end in high school at times. He admitted preseason he didn't know really how to communicate within the team defense concept coming to Duke. He did get better in that aspect, and that's it's, it's, uh, it's not easy. Um, and overall, just playing within that team defensive concept, he wasn't great. I do think he improved. Overall, I think he is a guy you can trust to bring it every night. And that's an underrated factor. Some guys are up and down. He's dedicated to improving. Definitely doesn't lack confidence. The oddest thing, in my opinion, is the technical stuff. Considering his godfather is uh, Steve Nash, he's the golden child of Canada, being helped along at every level. He worked with uh, Drew Hanlon in the offseason before Duke. I'm not really sure if he's actually working with him now. But it's just odd because, I mean, the stiff hips affecting both ends. This too straight up needs to get low on both ends. He Even on the passes with the catch and shoot, he gathers the pass all the way into his body too often. And it just completely takes away the rhythm. He's not ready to receive the pass. Little things like that, I mean, that's just... Somebody's got to be telling them that. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. I'm not saying they're not. The offhand on top of the ball when shooting, it's just covering the top. I don't know. I mean, I think as long as every time, every release is the same, I think sometimes we harp a little too much on the release and the motion. I think as long as it's consistent and, and doesn't change, I think that's fine. My issue with his shot is the balance. And that has nothing to do with the release. He often lands with one foot in front of the other in a totally different spot. Obviously, sometimes it's impossible not to. But when he goes straight up and down, his mechanics improve so much, and so do the results. So I think overall, can he go right? Can he finish right when teams overplay him? And teams will overplay him. Will his explosiveness improve? Can his explosiveness improve? 
what happens if when he doesn't get that first step on on the defenders because he was very first step reliant. Um, I think he has to improve uh, on te- he telegraphs the passes a little too much. I think his decision making got quicker as the season went on, but still it took him a while to recognize too often when guys were cutting. I guess that's probably because that happens so rarely to with a movement off ball. He was barely used in the post. So I think uh, actually I want to I want uh, to hear from you uh, after I'm done. I just have a couple more if you feel that could be a potential strength in the pros because he really wasn't used at all in the post. He played the exact role assigned to him by Coach K to the best of his abilities, despite how others viewed it as hero ball and tunnel vision. I'm not saying those people were always wrong, just that there was more context than him simply predetermining everything. So I, I think he needs to get better at being balanced on the jumper. He'll jump, uh, and I just, the balance, that's a huge thing with me. I think, uh, I mean, again, with the comps, I don't like to make it exact, but I do think there's Jalen Rose possibility, and yes, that is an absolutely lazy lefty-lefty comp, but I I do feel like that's a possibility. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I don't remember Rose that well, to be honest. Uh, Like, I was a kid when I watched Rose play, so I don't have, like, a great in-depth feel for his game, but... uh... Yeah, I could see something along those lines. I wanted to ask you a couple things. First of all, I wanted to ask you to go back to Zion real quick. Mm-hmm. What do you think of his on-ball defense? Because I thought he had some really impressive like on-ball, like point-of-attack uh, defensive moments. But um, at other times, I feel like just because uh, he's so big again, and uh, you know, it, uh, he didn't always like it wasn't always able to flip his hips really fast, and at times got kind of blown by, got kind of caught flat-footed, I guess. Uh, uh, what do you think of that? And also, I wanted to ask this year. Uh, Duke, uh, I believe they led the country, or they were near the top at the like uh, steals and uh, you know turnovers forced. And uh, it felt like their defense again a lot was was a lot more aggressive and kind of less conservative, playing the passing lanes more and get out and transition more. Do you think that was uh, am I right that, that that was kind of a system change to some extent that Co- Coach K kind of uh, adjusted with that uh, with the roster, or was that just uh, you know Zion and Reddish and uh, Drones being so great at uh, creating uh, kind of turnovers and uh, just the personnel that. Uh, the system and the scheme didn't really change. Honestly, it plummeted. Well, it ends. I think uh, it was Louisville. That was the last game where, and it was just a portion of that game, last nine minutes, where they got a whole bunch of turnovers. After that, there was only. I think there was. I I, I, I had the exact stat. I did pods at the end of the season, but there was a Miami game when they were just dominant versus Miami. And then uh, the first half versus Syracuse in the ACC tournament, when Zion came back, five immediate steals. Besides that, they were much, they were far below the national average in turnovers and blocks and everything. And that's what really what stalled out Duke because they were so reliant. They had no efficiency in the half-court offense. So they were so reliant on really getting out and running and Trey with his uh, outlets on everything, not just turnovers, but missed shots, made shots, and then other teams, I'm still not quite sure 100% exactly. I don't know if it's teams started to rotate better back or if Duke just, I don't know, they stopped being able to get turnovers. I mean, Cam Reddish, who I'll talk about, he was, uh, there's there, uh, I think he was actually above Trey in the steal rate at first, and then he just stopped. Trey Jones, just, he wasn't able to get, to get uh, steals. So I think that made them maybe kind of press a little too much. And then that's when, like, a team like Central Florida would go over the top and get those threes. So then you're kind of on your heels. You're not sure what to do because they were so aggressive at the beginning. But those last 20 games or so, 
they really couldn't get turnovers, so it was just pure talent. Before that, it was Duke's going to outrun you, and with Zion, they're going to just be beasts in the second half. They're going to wear you down. And against, like, Michigan State, Michigan State, they, they turned over, they turned the ball over a little too much throughout the season. Duke couldn't get any turnovers. In the Michigan State, they never actually forced turnovers. Duke turned it over to them, so... I mean, it was just such a complete switch when Duke had to run half court and you could just feel the energy shift. So I do think t- uh, opponents were better in terms, you said, like Zion when he was guarding in half court. Yeah, I mean, there's some guys which, as as really agile as he is, yeah, he can't stick with them, but the mistake was then him trying to make up for it and then committing the fouls. But uh, I, I do think... He's not elite in terms of on ball, but I think he's much better. I do think you can switch him almost one through five. I mean, not all the time. I don't want him out there guarding point guards. Like, if he's guarding somebody like Kyrie Irving, then there's there's issues. But I do think for, for plays at a time, I, I do think you can trust him out there. It's just as his energy might wane a bit. And as you said, the hips, they, they, they don't turn quickly, but I do think – for a guy his size, I'm not sure who is able to really stay with point guard. So I think just the fact that a guy his size can at times is a credit to him. Who Who is somebody maybe around his size or someone, I would know it's his size, who, who's someone kind of with his skill set who, who you would say can stay with uh, point guards or, or guards besides like LeBron? Well, yeah, I was going to say younger LeBron, I guess Ben Simmons. He's not obviously not as big as Zion, uh, like, with what in like frame strength wise. But yeah, Ben Simmons would be like the nearest, I would say, probably. Yeah, so no, I mean, I agree that it, it wasn't a strength, but I think he can he can stick with uh, the majority of guys, and you can um, you can drop him in coverage. I, I think he can guard one through five, but more often two through five. And he's just got to. I think teams have to be aware within the system of providing help, giving him some backup. So I'm just like, I mean, J.J. Redick, he's not going to be able to stay in front of, I mean, totally different player, but he's not going to be able to stay in front of guys on defense. But teams, they're good with certain players about kind of using their system to help them out. J.J. Redick, I mean, as a team within the system, the Sixers, they were going to have help there waiting and uh, the Clippers before that. So Zion, I think, on the times he does get switched, you just got to be aware. But I think overall, more often than not, he's he is a plus. Yeah. Uh, to go, you asked about RJ in the post, and uh, I think um, RJ, uh, one of his like kind of main uh, um, strengths is uh, I don't know. I don't know. I want to use a different word because it's going to be a little bit confusing, but. Uh, one of his biggest strengths is physical strength. Like he's really strong physically. So uh, I think in the post, like there's potential there from that uh, uh, kind of uh, perspective. And uh, you know, I think he'll be potentially, if you know things work out, he should be one of the stronger wings in the NBA uh, one day. But uh, the problem with him in the post is uh, a lot of the moves you're gonna make out of the post are kind of like fade away, or like 
shots with uh, some backward momentum. And he really struggles with those. He's really a guy who likes to kind of lean in and have forward momentum on the shots like bloaters. That's one of the reasons he's so good in those runners is because he likes that. He likes being kind of leaning towards the basket a bit and, uh, you know, kind of fading away. He struggles a lot more uh, with those types of shots. So that's kind of, I think, uh, something limiting to his, uh, you know, him developing more of a post game. And the reason uh, we haven't really seen it, even uh, going back to like AU in high school, he never really played that role. He always was more comfortable, you know, facing up and attacking downhill, uh, going uh, forwards uh, towards the basket, as opposed to, you know, in the post, again, you're, you're going to obviously going to try to back the guy down, but then you might uh, lean back and fade away and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How, about, how about his free throws? Because, I mean, I talked about the, uh, the balance being a key on the jumpers, but the free throws, especially in tight situations, they, he, he, uh, it's just inconsistent. The same thing with the mid-range where, I mean, he, he might, like I remember he played against Virginia, he was like 9 of 10 on the mid-range, and then the next game he'd be like 0 oh, of 7 or something. And it's just, what, what do you feel is causing inconsistency with shots that you just think should be repetition at this point like free throws what what do you think do you think he needs to just totally change the release what do you think there's something specifically wrong i mean i mentioned like his offhand is on the top of the ball like all the way is is that an issue or it's just i don't know What, what is your opinion well, I, I'm far from a shot doctor. I'm, you know, uh, definitely trying to learn as much as I can about shooting mechanics. I do think there's some tweaks that the RJ could uh, uh, kind of implement and improve his uh, shooting. And I would agree with like him having the hands on top of the ball at times and all that. But uh, I, I'll, I'll also say, I think, honestly, a lot of it is just, you know, uh, luck of the draw, like just kind of, again, small sample and, uh, you know, uh, you're going to make them and miss them. You know, it's a make or miss uh, game. So, uh yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, the, perhaps there is something I'm missing mechanically in those games where, you know, one game he was able to, you know, do this and the, the other game he wasn't or whatever. But I think a lot of it is just uh, comes down to, you know, consistent, like you said, consistency or repetition, just improving. And uh, yeah, there's some uh, uh, tweaks that he could probably implement into his mechanics to improve them. Okay, Cam, Cam Reddish, to some, I didn't say all, I didn't even say the majority, to some, he is Mr. Polarizing. Um, he's gotten compared to everyone from Paul George to Jeff Green, um, guys he played with and against in high school, talk about him like he was the second coming. And I'm not really sure, to be honest, there's been anyone and done who's had a more inefficient season than Cam, who is still a guaranteed lotto pick and thought of as uh, having a possible elite ceiling by some. I mean, ironically, the closest might be uh, Nazir Little, though I doubt many feel his ceiling is as high as the uh, elite cam believers. Um, It still feels like the game is moving really fast for him, which is why he often seemed to predetermine whatever he would do with the ball, often before he even caught it. Uh, Some, I, I would say some draft evaluators are big into body language, facial expressions. I'm not, or at least want to find out more if there's something to it which really sticks out. Even before Cam arrived at Duke, I saw articles quoting him really being self-aware, maybe too self-aware, realizing some nitpick those two aspects about him, the facial expression and body language. He says he's learned to just brush it off. I didn't think that was really an issue. Um, I am not a psychologist or psychiatrist. Um, 
I, I will say that's the my one non-basketball take in this, and even though it does apply because it annoys me, I'm perfectly comfortable saying Cam Reddish looks like a model and strides around the court in a way some might think is arrogant. I've seen him jaw with opponents plenty. It rubs many Duke and non-Duke fans the wrong way for the same reason but opposite perspectives that uh, quote-unquote Duke players should always be perfect gentlemen in any hint of like real humanity besides holding hands and singing Kumbaya is worth bitching and hot-taking about because they're not a true Dukey or don't deserve to wear the Duke jersey or whatever other nonsense. So I don't know, maybe Cam reminds them of the popular jock in high school. They're envious and nitpick everything he does. I mean, all of that is complete nonsense, but I have seen it said and written not just in hot takes. That's the crazy thing. But that's basically, um, I mean, there's one guy who, at Duke, when he made shots, he like the entire team was lifted up. And you could see and feel it, especially at Cameron Indoor. And it was obvious how much his teammates wanted him to succeed. As far as facial expression, body language, I know Coach K, he does, in fact, take that seriously. Maybe it's from his Army background, maybe not. I read about Kyle Singler explaining Coach K, getting on him for showing negative body language at Duke. Uh, Overall, this may be just what I've heard at various times. Uh, It's it's just basic non-basketball Cam thoughts, but considering what I saw at Duke, at this point, I'm comfortable sticking to basketball. So that's just real quick. All right. Incredibly smooth, fluid mover, shot maker. There is no wasted motion with Cam on catch and shoots, pull-ups, face-up rise and fires, or step-back jumpers. It's like, uh, this will age me, but any anybody who watched baseball in the late 80s, 90s, it's like Will Clark's swing back in the day. Just so smooth perfection where you just wonder, like, how he isn't hitting a home run every time, Ken Griffey. Jr. The effortless fluidity, I think that's part of what made the misses at the beginning of the season and even the middle so easy to almost dismiss. Kind of like when Luke Kennard, when he was at Duke, he had a bunch of shooting struggles at the beginning of his freshman season. You're just like, if a shooter keeps shooting, good things will happen, or so they say. For Cam, not so much. Um, I think the way he glides off screens, that's one of the many things which could frustrate teams considering him. Um, Though, because that's impossible to do in the NBA, where you need to be more urgent in every curl and coming off every pin down. J.J. Redick, he's a legendary shooter, but it's his off-ball movement and balance and overall attention to detail that has not just kept him in the league, but helped him thrive. Cam's possible big margin for error in high school, it may have hindered him at Duke. He, He has to gain that same attention to detail, because the mass majority of guys in the NBA are close to, just as, or even more athletic than Cam. Um, so I'd say uh, the super low release point on his jumper, um, I, I would say as far as I remember, it was rarely if ever blocked outside of the lane. Um, inside is another story. So I don't really think it was an issue um, in college in terms of that low release point, because it remained consistent. He could get it off. It's quick release. Uh, let's see, uh, 30 games post-Hartford. I mean, he had, I think I counted, uh, let's see, January 12th, FSU, second half. February 9th, UVA. Virginia Tech, February 26th. February 12th, Louisville, last 904. March 15th, UNC, first half. And March 24th at UCF. I mean, it was like three and a half halves in 30 games. Besides that, he shot 24% from three. I mean, it was just these tiny little blips we are like, oh my, oh, Cam, Cam he's, a, he's a lotto pick. If he can just do that. There were so many ifs with Cam. It, it was just fascinating. So uh, perhaps the off-ball struggles 
were because at least from uh, what I read, the little I read about him in high school, he was in a very basic zone system, um, therefore requiring him to make uh, major adjustments and develop uh, in a short time span at Duke from understanding, uh, let's, well, actually, you know what, that's defense. So um, let me quickly, uh, well, do you have anything uh, to add? I've been talking for a while to what I have initially said. I mean, it's just with Cam, it looks so good. And it just doesn't really add up in terms of uh, in terms of the results. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I think his kind of aesthetic is uh, one of the reasons people are high on him. This is something I've talked about a while that, uh, you know, like you talked about the model looks, for example, is I think sometimes that gives people like a bias. For example, Javon Carter is a guy who kind of had a male pattern baldness and uh, wasn't rated as an NBA prospect until his senior year. I think that's had something to do with that. And uh, honestly, I think, uh, you know, aesthetic and uh, uh, kind of uh, the right quote unquote looks uh, sometimes lead people to overrate guys a little bit. And I think uh, Reddish, the one uh, big problem uh, he has that really jumps out to me is he's not that good of an athlete. He's not very explosive. He's not particularly quick like he's fluid like you said he's kind of uh yeah like he's agile i guess but uh he's not he doesn't have that explosion that first step to really blow and buy guys and really beat guys and uh because he kind of has that mentality and that uh uh, approach of a star because that's what he's been touted as his whole career well at least in the last several years of his career and that's his expectations are kind of uh uh, he tries to create with the ball, and he doesn't have the quickness and the burst to really blow by guys. And then that leads him to settling for a lot of difficult, uh, you know, shots, whether, you know, longer two-point shots or, you know, off-the-dribble contested three-point shots. And that's what kind of leads to his inefficiency. So um, I think the way for him to be successful is hopefully to uh, move away from that and just uh, – become more of a role player and uh, realize that he's uh, more of a three and D guy type uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, the maybe star uh, type player that some people expect him to be or expected him to be prior to his uh, college career. So, uh, but on the defensive end, I think uh, that's where his upside really is uh, with his length and uh, the size he has. And uh, like you said, again, the fluidity and all that. Uh, and uh, I think towards the end of the season, we saw him uh, really improve defensively and uh, make some really impressive plays, uh, you know, uh, uh, just creating events and uh, uh, really bothering guys uh, as a team defender, uh, uh, getting in passing lanes and uh, just generally using his length and uh, uh, physical talent. Uh, so, yeah, I think if he could really focus on being a, a disruptor defensively and then not try to do too much with the ball and uh, offensively, I think he could be a valuable role player. But I definitely don't see the top three upside that a lot of uh, people do with him. Yeah, I mean, that dependability and trust is so huge. It's it's better to be consistent, not necessarily better. It's just for his role than just kind of flashes of brilliance but most of the time frustration. Like from Eastern Michigan, in which he missed the second half with some sort of sickness, I think it was the flu, through Wake Forest, he actually only played double-digit double minutes in both halves in two of the next 12 games. Then after having what could have been his breakout against FSU, he missed the next versus Syracuse. Coach K found out just before tip time, which is really odd. Same as the NCAA tournament Sweet 16 versus Virginia, where Coach K found out just before tip time. Against Gonzaga, Coach K basically sat him for the final 10 minutes uh, because even though he did hit a few bombs, his mistakes against a great team made the risk-reward factor tip towards playing Jack White over him versus a Zags t 
uh, a tired Zags team down the stretch just because Cam, you just never know. I mean, he shot 23% on jumpers against the zone, 11 to 50, 32% one unguarded. And it's stats like that, which are just head scratching when you think he could have been considered Duke's zone buster. I mean, if a team that really needed him against a, against the zone, I mean, it was just really poor. On the positive end of the spectrum, he wasn't bad shooting unguarded catch-and-shoot jumpers. He ranked in the 53rd percentile. Not great, but not bad. Jumpers off the dribble, he was in the 71st percentile. Still, those stats can't mute the fact that it was often, as I said, in short bunches, followed by long stretches of misses, which didn't change as much as just increase the sample when Zion was out. So I'm not sure if I fully buy into him being, as some say, held back by his role, though I heard he was used uh, more as an initiator in high school. I think I remember uh, he played with like Lewis King. Um, the ball was obviously in his hands a lot more. He, he was more of a playmaker, but I still, I, I don't totally buy the role thing. He didn't seem to adapt to the way defenders played him. He didn't adapt to the way refs were calling the game. And too often, he would just basically put his head down and barrel into defenders who were just simply standing there waiting for him. And and it's just, I didn't understand. There was no learning process. And he would often exa exacerbate the issue of being a runaway freight train. He wouldn't get lift from his jump because it'd often be off like two feet or just crazy unbalanced because of him mistiming the footwork. or just kind of having a uh, YOLO. Yeah, I did say YOLO. Uh, mentality. Um, I mean... Similar to RJ, I think he seemed to benefit from derived offense, being especially successful in the pick and roll, despite, the, as always, the high turnover rate. As I previously said, though, he seemed to predetermine too often, even in structured offense. I mean, when, pa when passing out of the pick and roll, the defender was often already waiting on him, so his choice to kick out was almost like a last-ditch freakout. His teammates shot 4-12 on his passes, not bad, but his turnover rate was 58%. That's like, that's obscene. So perhaps, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think on-ball defense, I think when avoiding the low IQ fouls, which is foul rate, that was another huge issue. I, I think he was mostly good at taking too many risks. Um, Off-ball is another story. So I think his highlights may appear otherwise. He made some great, crazy highlight steals in the passing lane and denied 7-1 wingspan really good. Perhaps the off-ball struggles were because from the little I read about him in high school, he was in a very basic zone system, so therefore requiring me to make major adjustments and development in a short time span at Duke. From understanding PNR switches, like that first FSU matchup, he was just a complete train wreck. To communicating, to rotating, he got much, much better as the season progressed. And it is his defense, as you mentioned, uh, I think that could allow teams to be a little more confident in risking a high pick on him. His defensive potential, at least in my opinion, it's scary good as long as his awareness and engagement is on point, which is no sure thing. So uh, I would say, that, um, just to kind of sum up Cam, his low two-point percentage, I don't know if he should be given a pass, or I do know he shouldn't, but uh, the defense did sag and sink in because of the other four defenders sinking in, and based on the lack of respect for Duke's other shooters, especially once Jack White started slumping, but the 51% shooting at the rim is just horrific. I think every other lotto prospect is around 60 to 65%, except uh, his buddy on uh, Tobacco Road, Nazir Little. Um, he's great at exploding with his final step off the dribble for the step-back J. That, that's 
That's really promising. Sketchy court awareness, tunnel vision, as you mentioned. It's kind of all or nothing. I, I would joke during the season, he needs to divide, diversify his plan of attack, like Wu-Tang Financial. Um, he gambles on Ds, hands down, slow closeouts, doesn't get back in transition, ball watches rather than boxes out. So, I mean, this is all stuff. He just needs to almost become a film junkie. I mean, the foul rate and the turnovers, the game speed, the decision-making, everything else. I mean, he's, he's talented, but you need to be more than talented to become more than a rotation or microwave type of guy off the bench. So, uh, I mean, the question is, is Cam Reddish more Paul George? Or is he more, I can't, one guy who's uh, not quite the, the, uh, str- as strong as Cam, but Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross is somebody who just, you just never know we are going to get from him. He, I think he had like 51 in one game in the NBA, and then the next game followed up with like five. <laughs> and, I mean, my ultimate miss, not just a miss but an absolute cannonball, with not the same skill set, but years ago, I was convinced. you remember Shannon Brown? Yeah, yeah. I was convinced he needed to get away from being Kobe's backup in order to be a star, and he was destined to be a star. So that's a uh, woof. Man, that is just there are no, I'm, I'm not sure if you can miss more than that. But uh, So I, I would say overall, that's that's my, my overall thoughts on Cam. I mean, there's a lot that's representative of, I don't know about this, especially where people are thinking about picking him. But is in this draft, I don't know. There's not too many high ceiling guys. I mean, a lot more once you get past the first crop or first tier. It's, it's more the versatile high IQ. So I don't know if somebody believes Cam could be upper echelon, who knows? Do you think he can? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, I was a uh, fan of Shannon Brown, too. Uh, I was younger, though. But uh, <laughs> called, um, I like the Terrence Ross comparison, actually, to some extent. Like you said, uh, uh, Reddish is definitely like stronger and uh, stuff like that. I'm somewhat forgiving of some of the kind of communication and technique mistakes defensively for a freshman. You know, almost every freshman, if you go down the line, has issues with that. And like you said, he's improved. He improved throughout the year. And uh, I, I, I'm willing to buy the defensive upside to some extent, even though some of the questions about motor and engagement are uh, a little bit concerning there. But uh, I would kind of disagree that he has great upside. That on one hand, I agree that this draft. I mean, I'm not. I wouldn't uh, kind of, besides Zion being number one, I don't have any uh, 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 almost uh, qualms or uh, uh, disagreements like whoever you want to rank, uh, wherever, more or less, you know, I'm going to be like fine with it. Because, uh, again, with this draft, there's no nobody that really pops out at you like that where, you know, you have to take this guy again outside of Zion. So, uh, yeah, I'd be fine if somebody wants to take Regis Highs 3. I don't have them. I don't have him nearly as high. Uh, I have him probably around 14 or 15 on my board right now. I'm definitely lower on him. And uh, like I said, I'm just uh, not so sure he has a super high upside. Uh, again, I don't think the burst and the athleticism like as far as uh, quick twitch explosion is really quite there. And uh, again, that shows up as you talked about in the finishing at the rim. And uh, furthermore, the decision making as you talked about with the turnover selection and uh you know um ball handling needs work as well uh we'll lose dribble at times and uh kind of uh have problems really um uh executing more complicated kind of uh, m- moves with the ball and stuff like that so I don't, i'm not sure about his ball skills as well so i really think uh reddish's upside is more high level role player than uh any real star upside that uh some people would probably think he has if they have him as high as the top three or whatever in this draft so uh yeah, um, I think uh, Reddish is actually more of kind of a high floor 
to some extent, at least, uh, if he's able to harness his physical tools, but uh, low stealing type of uh, median outcome type of play where you have a solid 3 and D guy uh, as he ca- kind of adds consistency to his shooting and uh, his defense as opposed to him really having uh, as much upside as maybe some people would contend. Okay. Um, that's great stuff. That really sums up the in-depth portion. Real quick, I will finish up the Duke overall portion with uh, Marquise Bolden. It's, nothing is going to be as in-depth as those three Duke guys. I'll say he, he's a pretty high IQ big. Um, he has that heavy-footedness, which is always risky. A, a, as a big man, your offense almost has to be – I mean, that's something I'm going to ask you once we get to the next portion of how good – does a heavy-footed bigs offense have to be in order to make it worthwhile having them on the floor? I mean, there's guys like Vucevic, Cantor, um, and um, I mean, Jaleel Okafor. I, I mean, they. I mean, Okafor, his offense was pretty efficient, and he just couldn't stay on the floor early on in his career just because the defense was such a negative. So um, Bolden, he takes really long to gather, brings the ball low too often. I talked about how Zion he keeps the ball up high. Bolden, he, he appears to have the technique, I will say, for perimeter mid-range development in a shot. It wasn't his role at Duke, so he really never tried it. Not not at all, uh, well, he did take a couple threes, but um, not at all elite footwork, but much more fleet-footed than you might expect. Opponents really hunted him for isos with their guards and wings. He wasn't bad, but the three crazy athletes um, backing him up probably prevented some of what might have happened. And, I mean, it just shows that every team is kind of hunting you for ISOs. That's not a great sign. He's a solid passer. And then the question, the two questions is, can he develop something of a uh, of, of, of a jumper? And can he can you trust him to drop in PNR coverage and switch? So do you, I'll say those are the main things about Bolden. Do you think he has a chance to be drafted? Uh, probably like late in the 60s, definitely a chance for a two-way contract or something like that. I think he really improved on his footwork and, uh, like kind of his mobility, uh, lateral quickness throughout his career. And I think, like you said, he actually did a pretty good job despite being hunted on all those switches with staying with guys. And I thought the last few months of the season, he was a really effective defensive player. But I think the problem for him is just there's so many of these bigs. They're pretty easy to find, whether in the G League or overseas, or even in the draft, you have guys like Dante Hall or uh, uh, Chris Silva, Kenny Wooden, Cameron Jackson, uh, Kavarius Hayes, Kyle Alexander. There's so many of these guys that are, you know, kind of a, uh, somewhat athletic or b- uh, bigger guys uh, who could, you know, protect the rim, uh, you know, uh, c- uh, contain pick and roll a little bit and kind of limit it offensively. So uh, that's kind of the issue with I see with Bolden is, uh, you know, he's pretty a replaceable player to be just uh, blunt. So, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, there's some chance some team likes him more the most out of all the guys. I think my favorite right now is Chris Silva, just because Silva could actually shoot and pass some, along with uh, having, uh, you know, pretty good defensive, uh, you know, uh, quickness and ability to protect the rim and all that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, they're... Okay, that was, that was weird. All right, uh, um, if you wouldn't mind just kind of going back maybe 10 seconds to what you started saying. Oh, yeah, I was just saying there's a, a lot of those guys out there of that archetype, and it's fairly easy to find. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the issue for Bolden is uh, he's, just to be blunt, he's pretty irreplaceable. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's maybe some team just happens to like him the most out of all those guys. He's not my personal favorite out of all those guys, but they're somewhat similar. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some chance he gets an NBA contract, but, yeah, I'm not, like, I'm not against it. I don't think it would be, like, a horrible decision to have him on the NBA team, but... Uh, it, he wouldn't be my first choice. 
Okay, so now let's, uh, that was the Duke portion. Really appreciate your feedback on the Duke guys. I'm going to deep dive your pod. Again, I recommend others to do the same. It's the Stepien NBA Draft Podcast. I appreciate you uh, giving thoughts on Duke and let me know I'm not crazy and uh, some of the stuff I think. Everyone definitely follow Mike's work at uh, your Twitter. What's your Twitter account? Obviously, the Stepien.com. Yeah, Mike Grib 8 is the number 8. Mike Grib G-R-I-B, and the number 8 is my, at the, the, is my Twitter account. Okay, and then definitely you'll be doing a lot of work on the step-in and posting your big board and other big boards and everything. It's it's just a really fun time of year. So I will let you go pick up your daughter. You've given me a, a heck, a lot of time, and not just a lot of time, but really quality time. Mike, thanks so much. I, I really look forward to possibly doing this in the future and keeping in touch. I will be tuning in to uh, your pod now to see how you feel about certain guys. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you for having me on. We just actually talked about Nick Claxton uh, yesterday on our pod. I think it came out today. And uh, we're going to do uh, finish up the last few guys. We have the three Kentucky guys, Washington, Hero, and Kelvin Johnson, and uh, Carson Edwards and Jared Culver. We're going to do them on Monday or Tuesday. So that's going to drop. And once we release that, those are the last guys we're covering. Uh, we've covered, well, I think over 100 guys in these last few months on the pod. So, uh, yeah, you, pretty much any prospect that's likely to be drafted, we've made a profile for them on our podcast. So check that out. And uh, after we finish uh, these last few profiles on Monday, Tuesday, that's when I'll have my final big board out. I'm going to try my best, and I think I will get it out uh, before the actual draft. And, uh, yeah, looking forward uh, and looking forward to keeping in contact with you and uh, being on the pod if you, uh, if you ever – want to have me on again okay thanks so much mike i definitely look forward to that i definitely will and uh again appreciate your time enjoy your day